So the year was uh, 1985. The Chicago Bears were about to dominate the NFL with defense. And we were introduced to um, a very peculiar friendship. It was between a young man by the name of Martin uh, and an older gentleman who was a uh, doctor by the name of Emmett. And our lives were forever changed because Doc Brown figured out how to go back in time. With the flux capacitor after hitting his head, falling on, you know, at the toilet and all that. And, and Back to the Future Part 1 started the best trilogy of any movie trilogy of all time. Now you're going to say, well, what about Lord of the Rings? What about uh, Star Wars? Those aren't trilogies. There's more of them than three. That's what a trilogy is. But when Back to the Future really hit its stride was in Part 2. Because Back to the Future Part 2 actually took us to the future. Because Back to the Future Part 1, you don't go to the future, you go to the past. But Back to the Past sounds like a ridiculous name for a movie. And in making Back to the Future Part 2, which they made Part 2 and Part 3 at the exact same time because Michael J. Fox was on a break from filming Family Ties, we were taken into the future of October 21st, 2015. Have you ever thought about that? From 1985 or 1990 at the time to 2015, and how many of those things that took place in October of 2015 actually came to fruition? Well, there's a few of them. Uh, The rise of ubiquitous cameras, uh, use of unmanned flying drones for news gathering, Widescreen flat panel television sets mounted on walls with multiple channel viewing, video chat systems, hands-free video games, talking hologram billboards, wearable technology, tablet computers with fingerprint scanners, and head-mounted displays. All of those things that were predicted for 2015 actually came to place, came to fruition. The one thing that many of us wish would have came to fruition was the hoverboard, but it's right around the corner. You know that he predicted that the Cubs would win the World Series in 2015 in October 21st in the uh, baseball playoffs, October 21st, 2015, the Cubs lost to the Mets. They went on the next year, though, right, to win? Because sometimes when we predict the future, we don't get it 100% correct. Lori Gottlieb, in her book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, says, if we spend the present trying to fix the past or control the future, we remain stuck in place in perpetual regret. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 19, the second half. I appreciate all of the comments and concerns about me running out of gas this week. No, I did not run out of gas. I did not run out of gas in the sailboat or the ski boat, uh, John's ski boat, or in my vehicle, either of them. I did not run out of gas in the mower. I did not run out of gas at all. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. If anyone feels like they should write a children's story about running out of gas, you heard it here first. Therefore, I will uh, come at you for copyright infringement of my intellectual material. You think I'm joking? (laughs) In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has proposed against them. 
In that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors. He will send them a savior and defender and will deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be, highway, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come to, into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in their midst, in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. As we see, we go from this Hebrew poetry to some prose on what is going to happen in the future with Egypt. And it's this, this radical shift because we see Egypt being destroyed last week in the first part of chapter 19, and we see this big shift to where Egypt will go. And we see five distinct in that days. It's like the opposite of remember that one time at band camp. It's in that day or in the future. In the future, we are going to see these things. And whenever we hear these predictions, we think, well, when is this going to be? And as John has mentioned many times, we try to read Isaiah with holding revelation, intention, and when is this going to be? We don't know, but it is predicted as something in the future. And we start out with this very interesting phrase. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women. And tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And as I read this, it immediately stopped me. Because we see this imagery of Egypt being a terrified woman or female over the hand of God. And at first we think, what's the big deal? But as Rebecca Solnit talks about in her book, Men Explain Things to Me. It's kind of an ironic, right? All the women are like, yes, can I get an amen? And all the men are like, seriously. She says, being male has been identified as a risk factor for violent criminal behavior in several studies. Murder is still a crime committed by men 90% of the time. More than 11,766 domestic violence homicides took place between 9-11 and 2012, exceeding the number of deaths of victims on that day, 9-11, and all American soldiers killed in the war on terror. Men, we have to acknowledge that we, you're like, not me, No, yes, we as men have done a gigantic travesty in how we have treated women. So much so that we get this lasting impression, and when we hear that 
that Egyptians will tremble like women, we know exactly what that looks like. Because we have male privilege that women don't have. And we don't have to fear for our safety. We don't have to fear about how we are going to be looked at or talked to or gawked at, whether it be in our homes or on the street, in our workplace, or unfortunately at church. And we have to own that and we have to say that something must change in how we treat women so that when we hear this imagery from an ancient text, we don't say, oh yeah, I know exactly what that looks like. You're like, whoa. (laughs) And it's a message that I don't like to deliver, but it's a message that must be delivered. And we see this imagery of the Egyptians shaking like women in fear for their lives. And unfortunately, it happens time and time and thousands of times again every single day. And it has to stop. And the only person who's going to make it stop is us. It's not about how women carry themselves. It's not about how women treat men. It's about men making decisions to treat women better. Can we go back to the future where we were laughing and joking about Dr. Seuss? Unfortunately, we can't. But we see the Egyptians in fear because God is going to come in and he is going to take over them. And somehow Judah, which is seen as this powerhouse, is going to be a terror to the powerful Egyptians. The second in that day, in that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. This interesting, we start out with with these five cities within the nation uh, of Egypt who are going to commit to converting to the ways of Yahweh. We see that in them speaking the Hebrew language. If you ever go to a uh, unique location, like we're going to hear about Poland this morning, and you try to speak the other person's language, it is an immediate connection and sign of love and respect and trying to connect with them. In this instance, the speaking of the, Egyptian, or the Israelite language of Hebrew is a sign of their dedication and their swearing allegiance to God. And then the next in that day, in that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And we see how the Egyptians, it starts out in these five cities and then it starts to grow to this nationwide conversion to the ways of the people of God. And it starts out small in in five singular cities, and now it's spreading across the nation as a national response to God calling them to him. What do these things serve as? It was a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. This is, this is radically different than the picture that we saw last week. And for many people, they say, how could this take place? How could the, the Egyptians, the people that were the first and foremost oppressors of the nation of Israel when they were in captivity... How could this take place? 
What does it take to get our attention? What does it make, what does it take to get us to make a change and turn to God? Flannery O'Connor says, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. The truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. What does it take to get us to make a change in our lives, or what does it take to get us to make a change to turn to God? It was January of 2007. I was going to seminary. I was unemployed. I had two kids um, under the age of three. And I had just basically housed a full bag of white chocolate Christmas Reese's Christmas trees. Not like a small bag, not like a tree. I'm talking a forest of white chocolate Reese's peanut butter cup Christmas trees. And I looked in the mirror one day in our very small apartment at Bethel Seminary and I said, dude, you have got to make a change. <laughs> you ever been there? Whether you catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror or, or you wake up the next morning after a day or a night of making terrible decisions and you say, all right, today has to be the day that I make a change in my life. And that began my entrance into running and weight loss. <laughs> the interesting thing is, as I was going through uh, uh, some premarital counseling with a couple this last week, I looked at my pre- our marriage book that Nikki and I had done about eight years ago, and I looked at my goals and I thought, whew, <laughs> yeah, um, that goal, yeah, still not there yet, um, It's interesting. What does it take to get us to make a change? Remember the list from last week? The list of tragic events in our lives that would cause us to question where we place our trust. Why do we have to wait for a tragedy in our lives to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Why do we have to wait for a catastrophic event to get us to turn back to God. What is described here in the book of Isaiah is a future-looking view of the nation of Egypt. But how many of us have said the same thing? Well, one day, I'll make a change. Last week at the baptism one person stood up and they said, if you, would have thought, if, I would have, if you would have told me that I would be standing here a year ago at this time, I would have thought that you were crazy. I'm paraphrasing. But how many of us have had that same thought in our minds that, that we want to make a change, but taking that first step and making that change is often the hardest thing? And we see this vision of this change within the nation of Egypt. And you say, well, that's in the future. And yeah, in the future, I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to get serious about this, that, or the other thing. Whether the future is always Monday or the first of the year or the first of the month. 
Verse 21, And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. This is a lasting change that we see in the nation of Egypt. They know the Lord. What does it mean to know the Lord? To know the Lord is to love the Lord, and to love the Lord is to obey his commandments. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So uh, just this last week in Outside Magazine, this article came up, and it's called The Automatic Hobby Jogger Detection Machine. Let's try that again. Um, the Automatic Hobby Jogger Detection Machine. Thank you. Uh, and it, in this article, they look at how do we distinguish between a recreational runner and a competitive runner. And, <laughs> Uh, this is awesome. The answer usually boils down to something along the lines of anyone faster than me is a talented and hardworking athletic colossus, best riding the world, and anyone slower than me is a pathetic hobby jogger who shouldn't be allowed to buy running shoes. <laughs> uh, so they did all these studies, and they defined competitive uh, runners as anyone who had a recent race performance between 5K and marathon that exceeds 60% of the age-graded world record for that distance based on World Masters Association age grading performance tables. So then when you click on the link, you go to this thing, and you're like, yeah, this is way, this is, yeah, this is beyond me. Or to say it a different way, why, for example, is the most important distinguishing feature for men the step-to-step correlation of center of mass acceleration along the back to front axis, while for women, it's the root mean square average of that acceleration. You're like, I just like to go out for runs every once in a while. <laughs> it's kind of an age-old question, though. What makes a runner? And in the same way, we ask ourselves, what makes a follower of Jesus Christ? Buying a pair of running shoes and signing up for a singular race doesn't necessarily translate to a life of running. Having a Bible verse hanging in our entryway does not necessarily equate to a life of following Jesus. This morning on my drive-in, Shane Claiborne and another gentleman were on On Being with Krista Tippett, and he said, Christians are good at defining what they believe, but not good at doing the things that Jesus has told us to do. We see this image of the nation of Egypt making this extremely transformative shift in their lives where they're following after God and they're worshiping Yahweh and their lives are completely changed. And we ask ourselves, is this a future thing or is this a recent reality in our lives? What does it, get, what does it take to get us to make a change and turn to God The Meridian Highway was first organized in 1911 as a way to connect Winnipeg, you're welcome, uh, Mac, to the Gulf of Mexico. In 1925, it uh, went through some significant name changes when the Joint Board of Interstate Highways renamed it Highway 81. In 1956, however, the boom of the interstate program 
had Highway 81 shrunk and overtaken by interstates like 35 and 29. This is not an amazing, shameful, unshameful plug for how 81 runs right through my hometown of Yankton, South Dakota. I love when people say, yeah, I just drove by Yankton on the interstate to Mitchell. No, you didn't. You drove by an exit for 81 that said Yankton. Not even close. <laughs> this, the idea of the project of, of 81 was to connect Canada to Mexico. And it was a monumental shift in how we can move goods and services. And we see a similar building project in verse 23. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. And we, we say, well, that's a nice sentiment, but it is unbelievable what this statement means. These sworn enemies who have spent all of this time battling over position and authority and power and all of these things and enslaving other people and doing these things are coming together to be unified as one group of people worshiping God. And then it says in that day, verse 24, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This is... This is mind-boggling to the readers and the listeners of Isaiah because these people are sworn enemies and now God is using the same label that he has used for them for these people who have oppressed the Egyptians and or oppressed the Israelites. And they're like, how is this even going to happen? That they are going to be a blessing and on par with us. You ever have that sentiment? You ever find yourself seeing somebody walk through the door of Timberwood Church and you say, what are they doing here? Not in like a good way, like, oh, what are you doing here? It's like, seriously? What are you doing here? This is my church, and I can't believe that you are here. That would be how the Israelites felt about the Egyptians and the Assyrians. And God is saying, in that day, all that's going to change. And just to make it clear, this isn't your church, this isn't my church, this isn't John's church or Tom's church, this is God's church. And whoever decides to walk through the doors of Timberwood Church is always welcome. Because as we sang in the last song that had me crying before I'm supposed to come up here and preach, we're all invited to the altar. No matter what we've done in our past, no matter what we've done in our present but they are to be a blessing, a blessing in the midst of the earth. And this goes back to the Abrahamic covenant and how Israel, or the Israelites are to be a blessing to the world. And, you know, we started out 20, or we finished 2018 around this challenge of being a blessing to Crowan County and to serving those in our community. And, and Bridges of Hope has started this uh, this meeting, they meet every other month, and it's a group of uh, adoptive foster respite families that get together to share stories and learn together and support one another. And there's another meeting this uh, Tuesday night, happens to be here at Timberwood. 
Do you know that around 150 kids in Crow Wing County will go to bed tonight in a bed that is not in their home with adults that are not their parents or legal guardians? Imagine every child on our biggest night of youth group going to a place that isn't their home with adults that are not their parents or legal guardians because their homes are not safe. And it brings up this question, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, how are we to be a blessing to those that we come in contact with? How are we to be a blessing in our area? Some of you are like, glad I don't live in Crow Wing County. I'm just on vacation. The point is, when we are in a relationship with the God of the universe, in this text, Yahweh, we are to be a blessing in the midst of the earth. Because, as verse 25 says, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed. And when we are blessed, we are to be a blessing to others. The crazy thing about Back to the Future, part two, is when Marty goes into the future, everything gets turned on its head. And how many times do we wish we could go back and change something in our past or go forward and see something in our future because we would certainly make changes in our lives if we could go back and change the past or we could go forward and see the future. And we see this oracle to the nation of Egypt and this future view of them turning to God. And we see the reality that our future is dependent on our present And the only way to change our past is to make a decision in the present about where we will be in the future. And that is an offer from the Almighty God to be in relationship with Him, in a true, authentic, life-changing relationship with Him that changes everything about us. We say yes to Jesus. I'm sick of living in this position that I'm in, and I want to be in relationship with you I want you to change my present and I want you to change my future. And then we actually do something about it. You aren't a runner because you buy a pair of running shoes. But when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to be in relationship with him. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we seek to love him by obeying the things that he has commanded us to do, by seeking transformation in our lives that people will say, wow, a year ago, I would have never seen this happening in your life. And today, amazing. Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning, we come to a text about the future, about the future of these nations. And oftentimes we think about the future in skewed terms. When in reality the future is now in the present. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move, that you would move in a mighty way. That if we haven't come to a relationship with you and said yes to being a follower of yours, that the present would be the most important moment of our lives and that we would see our future as a follower of your son, seeking to be transformed each and every day so that we could be a blessing to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.